It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself in a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 245, our Easter special coming out at Easter. Uh, Quantum is a podcast that looks at news and views from a Christian worldview perspective, but it's open to all. And, you know, I was thinking a bit about why we do this. Sometimes you can get very despondent about what's going on in the world. And lots of you do contact me to share the feelings that you have. And something for those of us who are Christians, well, we just should just give up and just retreat. Well, I was listening to this and, and I, I thought this was really helpful. So here's what Oz Guinness has to say. I meet Christians all the way across this country who said, you know, things are in bad shape, but I'm just keeping my head down and I'm trying to be faithful like the early Christians were under Rome. And I say, that is dead wrong. The early church were faithful, yes, but they were under an imperial dictatorship. They had zero room to move, but they were faithful within the limits they had. Here in the American Republic, which remember is partly coming from the Hebrew Republic, so that covenant in Exodus became constitution in 1787 and so on. You're in a republic where every citizen is responsible for the health and vitality of the republic. So for Christians just to keep their heads down, is not only a failure of discipleship, calling, they're not being salt and light. It's a failure of citizenship, and it's absolutely disastrous. So the scandal of the American church, if you look, say, Britain, France, Germany, many of the countries in Western Europe, the church is a tiny minority now, openly rejected. Here, for all the rise of the so-called religious nuns, the Christian community, the church, is still the largest community in America. So you take our friends, say the Jews. They are 2% of America. But if you think, they punch well above their weight, intellectually, right. culturally, financially. And we who are a huge majority, and our Lord calls us to be salty and light-bearing, we're non-influential. Now that's particular to the United States, and I think it's very helpful. Um, but also, I would say, in all other democracies, remember, we are citizens and we have a say. And I'm quite intrigued. We'll do a fair bit today uh, about the trans issue, which is fast becoming the state religion of our day. And uh, in opposing this, it's the feminists who seem to be so much more effective uh, than Christians. But we need to learn to, to speak up. So anyway, this week, let's look, we're going to look at some news from throughout the world, but I think we probably do have to start with this. Breaking news tonight, the historic arrest and arraignment of Donald Trump, the unprecedented scene playing out on live TV. Mr. Trump, the first former president to be criminally charged, surrendering at the courthouse in New York, where he was processed and fingerprinted, but no mugshot. He was then taken into the courtroom and the indictment unsealed. 34 felony counts of falsifying... That is the uh, arrest of Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. He surrendered to the New York authorities on April the 4th. 
He was charged with 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Um, this is all to do with hush money payments in the uh, made ahead of the 2016 elections to um, Stormy Daniels. Um, he's pleaded not guilty. He's the first US president to be charged with a crime. Now, what do we have to say about all of this? For me, I, I just despair for several reasons. Uh, number one, the media are going to be dominated by this for months. Uh, number two, I think the other charges, potential charges against him, are far more serious. The uh, capital riots and the uh, accused voter fraud. I think these are uh, much more serious things. Uh, you cannot help but think that much of this prosecution is political. Uh, and I, I also think that, by the way, if you're against Trump, you've got to see this as a disaster for yourself because he, uh, this is just going to really boost his popularity, at least for a while. But I think one of the things that made me despair was I, I listened to, well, I'll tell you what, let me, let's let you hear part of this. I'm just, I was just astounded at this. This was uh, a prayer meeting involving several evangelical leaders. I mean, lots not, but some were. And, uh, well, hear the first bit of it. Now I would like to turn it over to Pastor Jensen Franklin to begin our first prayer. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. President. We just want you to know from the faith community how much we love you, how broken we are. It was absolutely sickening today to watch what you went through. You're on our hearts, sir. You're in our prayers. Uh, I am moved like never before to stand with you, stand behind you. There's one verse of scripture, and then I'm going to pray. Isaiah 59, 14, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, and the truth this day has fallen in the streets. And unfortunately, today in the streets of New York City, a sickening thud of, of, of truth fell to the streets, but we're going to pick truth up. And we're going to stand and lift up the arms of truth. And we're lifting your arms up, Mr. President, your family. We love you and we're praying for you. And we're going to see a big... Now, what's wrong with this? Well, lots of things. First of all, the fact that this prayer thing was deliberately posted online. You don't... It, it, that's more like making a political statement than... We pray to the Lord. We don't pray to the internet. Secondly, the, the language in which it was used. So, for example, Michelle Bachman says, we cry out now to our Father on behalf of the United States of America. We cry out to you and we ask, Father, that you deliver us just like when your children cried to you when they were slaves and captives. We ask you to deliver us from these chains of bondage. Father, we see our President, Donald Dre Trump, has taken the blows for America. He has taken the blows for us. And so we lift him up to you. Now, some have gone explicitly to equate uh, Donald Trump with Jesus, which, you know, what happened to Jesus at Easter is what's happening to Donald Trump this Easter. I'm sorry, that's blasphemy, and it's really wrong, really wrong. I'm just amazed that we get, you know, whatever you think of the rights and wrongs of the actual case to, you know, are, are we not remembering what this is about? This is about a, a prostitute being paid money to kept, be kept silent and the person who is paying the money is being lauded as an example of Jesus Christ and taking the blows for us by Christians. That, that to me, doesn't make any sense. 
You can argue that Donald Trump is the least worst option. You can argue politically for him. But what you cannot argue for is that he is a Christ-like figure. You can't argue for that. Well, you can, I suppose, but I just think you're wrong. Now, part of the problem here is the politicization of the United States judicial system. So here is, is another piece of news that for me is very significant. A pro-abortion judge, Janet Protaskitz, I think is how you pronounce it, be a pro-life candidate, Dan Kelly, in Tuesday's statewide election in Wisconsin. She will replace a conservative justice who's retiring, swinging the court to a four to three liberal majority. $42 million were spent on that race, onto the Supreme Court. It's the most expensive state Supreme Court race in US history. Justice, inverted commas, can be bought. There is something that is so wrong with that system. Justice, justice should be, the law should be done by people who are as far as possible impartial. You're listening to Drive Time on BBC Radio Scotland. Michelle, thank you. This is Drive Time. I'm John Beattie tonight. Peter Murrell, the husband of the former First Minister Nicola Sturgeon and former Chief Exec of the SNP, is still being quizzed by police after being arrested this morning in connection with an investigation into the party's finances. I couldn't really comment on the specifics. Uh, I mean, look, I, I mean, I led the SNP for a long time, uh, so I'm very sad about what's happening to it uh, and indeed about what it's become. Now, we will explain... What OK, well, I guess we have to come on to this. Um, something which we'll say more about at another time. But at the same time as Donald Trump was being arrested, the husband of the just-retired First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, her husband, Peter Murrell, has been arrested over irregularities in party funds, missing £600,000. Um, very dramatic case here in Scotland. One of the things that strikes me is that I don't have much doubt that this was actually known about and is part of the reason that Nicola Sturgeon resigned, but it's also, I'm certain, the reason why the SNP uh, ruling group, ruling executive, uh, decided to get their election over with very quickly, not have a full-length campaign as they normally are supposed to do, because they knew this was coming. And I have no doubt at all that if this had come before the election, there is not a chance that their candidate, Humza Yousaf, would have won. But that's the world we live in. All right, uh, let's have a bit of music. Um, somebody was talking about the eclectic taste I have. I do actually quite like Scandinavian heavy metal. Uh, guess which country this is from?
Netherlands, Finland. Korpilana Amanahota, I think is how you say it. Well, we have news from Finland. Relief and celebrations for Petteri Orpo after a nail-biting election. You can see that I'm very happy. This, this was great victory for Kokomus. I think that Finnish people won't change. They won't change and now I will start negotiations, open negotiations with all parties. Mr Orpo and his National Coalition Party claimed victory late on Sunday with 20.8% of the vote, ahead of the right-wing populist Finns party and a swing away from the centre-left Social Democrats. It's a bitter defeat for Prime Minister Sanna Marin, even though her party looks set to increase its share of seats in Parliament. This is a great day because we've done well in the elections. Congratulations also to the coalition party and to the Finns. Democracy has spoken, the Finnish people have cast their votes and celebrating democracy is always a wonderful thing. And to me, that is an, an absolutely extraordinary result. The Finnish PM, Sanna Marin, who's kind of the darling. I mean, it's funny, we had three women, Nicola Sturgeon, Jacinda Ardern, and Sanna Marin, who are seen as the kind of woke, progressive, liberal icons, if you like, of the whole movement. And all of them have gone. Sanna Marin has now gone. The Conservative National Coalition Party is going to uh, win. And the Finns, well, they, they would say um, far right. I don't think they are far right, but the Finns party came second and Sanna Marin's party came third. And it's very interesting why, why this has happened. Some of it is to do with the economics. One wonders also whether the transgender thing has something to do with it because they just passed a gender recognition thing as well. And let's not forget that there's news from all over the world as well. We reported a while ago on the, or commented on the Kenyan uh, election. And uh, there have been two weeks of anti-government protests and that has just been stopped. Uh, the opposition leader, Relia Odinga, has called for the protests to uh, basically calm down. Uh, he's, he said he's listened to religious leaders and others who've spoken to him about the crisis. So we shall see. Over Easter and Ramadan, they are going to stop. Okay, so now we do have to come on to the religion of our progressives, and that is the trans thing. Now, first of all, let's begin with a bit of good news. And that is that Kemi Badenoch of the UK government is considering a change to the Equality Act of 2010 that would restore the meaning of sex to what everyone once understood. There are two sexes, male and female. Um, the Equality Act defines the protected characteristic of sex quite simply as a reference to a person who has a particular protected characteristic is, is a reference to a man or to a woman. But now that people are trying to redefine what a woman is, particularly, um, Kemi Wagenock is suggesting we need to put this much more specifically into law. Now, of course, Stonewall and all the usual suspects come on about this. They say that oh, to define sex as biological now risks um, uh, a, a new culture war and it will be so dangerous to trans people and so on but it is absolutely essential. 
Meanwhile, at the other end of the spectrum, in Canada, we've got this. Firstly, it enables the Attorney General to create a 2S LGBTQI plus community safety zone to prohibit within 100 meters of the property any homophobic, transphobic act of intimidation, threat, offensive threats, offensive remarks, protest, disturbance, and distribution of hate propaganda within the meaning of the uh, criminal code. It also comes with it a penalty of $25,000 if prosecuted successfully. You notice the 2S LGBTQI+, did we miss anything out? This is a new bill that would prosecute anyone that misgendered, criticized, or protested against transgenderism. If you are transphobic, homophobic, or offensive, you can face prosecution and a $25,000 fine. And what was fascinating about this announcement was it was done in the presence of, on the committee or on the platform, were a non-binary, a wizard, a witch, two drag queens, two maskers, an AWFL, a child, a disabled minority, and a cis white male. And this was all done to prevent people making offensive remarks near drag shows. As someone commented, they are using diversity as a mask for tyranny. And then an extraordinary thing, uh, Dylan Mulvaney, who's kind of the poster, I was going to say the poster boy, or I guess they would say the poster girl for transgenderism, has now become the new ambassador for Nike Women. Um, he posed in a woman's sports bar. He's a man. Dylan is transitioning. I, I think personally, he's made a career out of mocking women. And he's suddenly a paid ambassador for Bud Light. His, his name is on, his, on um, Bud Light. As someone once said, pretending to be a woman for a beer, that, for a drink that's pretending to be beer. Ultra Beauty, Tampax, um, Svade Vodka, Urban Decay, Walmart, Rent the Runway. All of these have taken him on as an advertiser. Quite extraordinary. But at the other end of the spectrum, listen to this. I found this quite extraordinary. This is Ollie London. Wow, I feel so blessed to be the first person in beautiful studio, by the way, guys. Um, so I'm Ollie London. And for those, um, for those people out there that don't know me, I'm a social media personality. I do Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube. I also am a K-pop singer. So I released my own Korean pop music. Some of it's in English, some of it's in Korean. And a lot of people know me for my extreme obsession with Korea, which I've kind of got over now. I've kind of moved on from that, but I was very obsessed with Korea. I used to live in South Korea for a year and I became infatuated with a specific K-pop star called Jimin. And I modeled myself on him. So I started having surgery to look like him. And then I got to a point where I was, you know, kind of getting addicted to the surgery. And I thought maybe I can be Korean. I love Korea. Why not? Everyone else can make their own pronouns and genders and identities these days. So why not? And obviously I got some hate for that. And, you know, I've kind of grown from that and trying to learn. And, you know, now I'm trying to just be myself. Now that was on trigonometry. And he's saying quite specific, Ollie was one of the most famous and influential trans people. Remember, he's the guy who also decided he wanted to be Korean. Now, I'll put a link to the article, but he's written, as well as the thing with trigonometry, and he's also got a book coming out. He's written about how he struggled with identity issues, a lack of self-esteem, and body dysphoria since his teenage years. For many years, I was lost, confused, and constantly undergoing plastic surgery in an attempt to find happiness. 
I have had 32 operations to change the way I look, and six months ago I decided to take my most drastic step yet and transition from male to female. I had come to the conclusion that my identity issues were gender-related. I underwent multiple facial feminization surgeries, changed my entire wardrobe and had hair extensions fitted. After coming out as a trans woman, I enjoyed the affirmation of my fans. Many celebrated my new identity and commended me for being stunning and brave. I felt that maybe this was who I was meant to be, and yet for some reason I still didn't feel happy inside. I was lost. I was confused. I needed guidance. Now, Ollie now says that he's become a Christian. Um, he's detransitioned. He wants to be baptized. And it, it's really quite extraordinary. And But I think this, I was lost. I was confused. I needed guidance. That's precisely it. And when you've got politicians like Dan Andrews, who goes on about this all the time, when you've got politicians who are pushing this, they are adding to the lostness. They are adding to the confusion. They are not providing guidance. So here, for example, is the Prime Minister of New Zealand. How do you and how does this government define a woman? Um, I, to be honest, Sean, that's, that, that question's come slightly out of left field for, for me. Um, the... Well... Biology, sex, gender. Um, people define themselves. People define their own genders. Keir Starmer has said that he believes 99.9% .9 of women do not have penises. And I know it's a strange thing for him to say, but given recent events in New Zealand, I'd ask again, how do you define what a woman is? Well, as I've, I, I think as I've just indicated, I wasn't expecting that question, so it's not something that I've, um, you know, formulated, pre-formulated an answer on. But um, in terms of gender identity, I think people define their gender identity for themselves. That was Chris Hipkins. People define themselves. People define their own genders. Now, one of my regular listeners from New Zealand wrote an, a, a lovely email saying about the situation in New Zealand. I'm not going to give their name, but they applied to join the police. They had army experience and everything else. They were asked about their views on abortion and many other things and their views on homosexuality. And they were denied their job because a job as a policeman because their views was, were described as extremist. There is something deeply wrong with the New Zealand police force at the moment. Meanwhile, in Australia, we've got this. Australia is a funny place, and we are fundamentally, even though we're changing, we're fundamentally a nation that likes fairness. You know, and we have evolved, and we are still evolving on this, when you think at how far we've come you know, on, on same-sex marriage and everything else. And I think the average Australian uh, likes everyone to get a fair go. <laughs> um, whether we're there yet, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a moving target. So we've got one minute and 15 seconds. I'm going to try to do this so quickly. Watching the clock, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your question. Um, so first of all, we got to same-sex marriage vote through a plebiscite that was a waste of money. Secondly, um, it's not a place where everyone wants a fair go because 
Let me propose something to you. I've been thinking, of, I've been mulling over this. So, old mate Moira is expelled for, no, sorry, suspended for nine months. So, I would personally like to donate my services to you just for 90 minutes to come to your party and explain to you why the gender diverse community of Australia needs your support, why it was so wrong that Moira was there, because frankly, she's just gone on paid maternity leave. And when she gets back, that those rhetorics and those belief systems are still there. To answer your darling question in the red gorgeous blouse and the lippy, you look stunning. Um, it's really simple. Allyship isn't easy. My best friend is a Liberal voter. I have no beef with anyone. Yeah, like Mazel. So it's all about questions. No question is, is a dumb question or a silly question. All we ask is to be respected. You know, as Sky News so kindly put it, I'm not an abomination to women. I'm simply asking for a seat at the table, which is why I'm so grateful to be at this table, because frankly, most of my community are being assaulted, murdered, raped, or erased by the sporting industry, by politics, or just by some random idiot who strolls out of a nightclub and yells at us. So that's all you've got to do. Ask questions. Now, this is open. Holy Week here. We are all people. And we have had on the National Religion and Ethics Programme, not about Easter, but we've had a transgender couple getting married, a half-hour programme. We've had a trans activist speaking at the ABC Press Club and being lauded by all the politicians and, uh, and of course, broadcast. And that, there was a transgender activist on Q&A being questioned by another transgender activist. Uh, the question that was asked of uh, the liberal person was... Uh, got this answer about fairness and evolved and evolving as though this is something as we move towards this I, I think we're moving back we're moving away from women's rights but how is it if you want to talk about fair how is it fair for a man to take part in women's sport here's some more good news on this issue the majority of those consulted uh, stated that transgender athletes should not be competing in the female category. Many believe there is insufficient evidence that trans women do not retain advantage over biological women and more, more evidence than any physical advantages have been ameliorated before they are willing to consider an option for inclusion into the female category. That's the World Athletics Association saying, no, we're not going to do this. How about this in terms of media and publishing? I wrote a book review last year for the FT and I hadn't written for a long time and it was, it was a not very good book about, um, uh, about male violence against women. And I said, I wrote a sentence which started, um, murders of trans women are rare in the UK, whereas women are murdered at a rate of between two and three a week. And I thought it was all fine, they said it was fine. And then I was in a bar in Rome, a very noisy bar, and I got called at 7 o'clock in the evening. Um, and I was told by the literary editor at the FT that a group of people at the paper um, wanted to add a sentence saying, murders of, in the UK of, of trans women are rare, but disproportionately high to the number of, of trans people in the country. And I said, but this is not true. And he said, no, but people here feel very uncomfortable with not saying that. And also, people here feel very uncomfortable because you've said that murders of, with, um, of trans women in this country are rare, and they feel that the word rare is pejorative. And I was saying, but surely it's a good thing. I mean, isn't it a good thing when not many people are being murdered? And in the end, we, we had a long, you know, a very noisy bar. It was coming and going. In the end, they took that reference out. But he, 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 he did not know, and he'd just been told by apparently the 
a lot of newspapers now have a, a sort of LGBT group, and they do seem to have an ability. This was a 500-word book review. They seem to have an ability to actually look at your look at copy, anything that touches on the trans issue, feminism, or whatever, and they they're allowed to say we don't like this, and to say you know we want to add things or take them out. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Yeah. That's Shocking. not journalism. No. Did you hear what she was saying, this journalist? that the paper wanted to add a sentence that wasn't true, saying UK murders of trans women are disproportionately high. And they wanted to add it because people here feel very uncomfortable with not saying it. They want it to be true. They just make it. This is the Financial Times. Notice also the word rare is pejorative. Well, where is all this going? This Dutchman lets us know. Right. But legally, I'm uh, 69. So you want 70. to identify 17 years? Yeah, because, you know, Sorry, I feel like that. I have that feeling. You're not actually 42, you're 69. No, but the times has changed. No, no. they haven't changed. No, they have No time no, has changed. No, yeah, he's legally 69, but he says his biological age is 42. All right, enough. I'm going to stop all up. You see where it is. Um, let's just take a break, a bit of music. Abba. playing ABBA because ABBA fans have been banned from wearing 1970s disco wigs to their concert. Why? Because these wigs are culturally <laughs> insensitive and not appropriate to be worn as fancy dress. See, I think men dressing as women and acting as drag queens is culturally insensitive. But if you've got an Afro wig, a disco wig, uh-uh, no, no, no. Or... Tell you what, let's have another little bit of music. That's Mozart. Marriage of Figaro. Ian Plimmer in The uh, Spectator has a great article in Australia on about if we cancel Captain James Cook and William Shakespeare, why shouldn't we cancel Wolfgang Apodeus Mozart in his operas, his acceptance of slavery, racism, white privilege, authority, misogyny, anti-Islam, wife-bashing, man-woman marriage and marital fidelity makes him a prime candidate for cancellation. Although he does have a casting of a girl dressed up as a boy, which may, might atone for that. Uh, yeah. Oh, dear. So, let's come to the church. 
It's quite disturbing the number of churches that are f- having an iftar, that is a Muslim celebration during Ramadan within the church. And Neil Gooch, again writing in The Spectator, has pointed out what's wrong with this. If this was simply a question of inviting other religious groups to share a meal or to socialise, there'd be no issue. But this is a specifically religious observance in which the accompanying prayer, the Adan, incorporates the Shadada, which is a creedal statement of Islam and which basically says there is only one God and that Jesus is not God. It is a rebuttal of Christianity and this is taking place within Christian churches. Wow. He goes on to say, there is no getting around the fact that Christian, he admires Islam, he says, but that Christianity and Islam are two distinct and mutually contradictory religions. They might both be wrong, but they cannot both be right. If Jesus Christ was the Son of God, he cannot also be merely an important prophet. Oh, well. Um, you know, I'm going to stick with the church and... Uh, I tell you what, we are coming up to Easter, and I think it's very important to remember this. This is a wonderful clip that has gone the rounds many times. Some of you may not have heard it. I was in a meeting today, and somebody showed it to me and said, have you seen this? This is kind of new, and it's been around for a while. But this is Alistair Begg preaching in uh, 2019, so it's four years ago. But it's just this wonderful clip. Please listen to this for the message of Easter. Without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves, all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it, in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense... I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. 
Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God that just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. The man on the middle cross said I could come. You see, Ollie Lon London apparently has discovered that. Os Guinness knows that. I pray that Donald Trump would get it. I pray for Nicola Sturgeon and Peter Murrell that they would get it. And for many others as well, Marin in Finland, many of the people in Kenya get it. I pray for uh, the trans people as well, that the identity we need is not in changing our body, but it's in coming to know Christ. And we come to know Christ because he died for us. The man on the middle cross said I could come. So I'm going to leave you. It's Easter. Um, I hope you have a great Easter. I'm going to leave you with my favourite Easter hymn, at least this year. Um, it's the Gettys, See What a Morning. Uh, thank you for being around. Please do write in and let me know your comments. Please do feel free to pass this on, review it on Apple or whatever. Uh, feel free to support us on the Pudbean fundraiser. And thank you to Ian for um, all that has been done. Uh, sorry, I'm saying thank you to Ian. Oh. I'm getting so tired. I said thank you to Peter for producing this. And uh, it's funny, I was thinking of Ian because I heard a man say, if you take Christian and you take Christ out, all you're left is with Ian and Ian doesn't save you. So I hope you know Christ. I hope you have a great Easter and see you again next week. Bye.